the house of the Lord this evening. Let's take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Starts out with a word that little children often say. Why? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Just titled us simply, Imagining a vain thing. Imagining a vain thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. And I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us, Father, from your word tonight. Pray that we'd come comfort and strength and you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word imagine here means to plot, to plan, to devise. And, of course, he starts out asking a question, why? Why? And, really, there's, I have four whys here, four whys. And it's a good, good question to ask. Why? First of all, why do the heathen rage? The word rage here means to make a tumult, to, compi- to, to conspire or to plot. The word tumult in English dictionaries means a violent and noisy commotion or disturbance of a crowd or mob, a general outbreak or a riot, you know, a highly distressing agitation of mind or feeling. And we see this a lot in our society today. Tumults. Why? Why do they rage against God? Is it because God is evil? Is God mean? Is God partial? Is God impersonal? Is God unjust? Why would they rage against God? After all, Matthew 5, 43-45 says this, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Isn't that what average people do? Yeah, that's natural. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, 
love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the Son, his Son, to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endureth to all generations. Psalm 34, 10, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord is, God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, keep your place here. We'll, we'll be back. But go over to Acts chapter 10. I want to try and illustrate the goodness of God. Acts chapter 10. And the, in, in a real life setting, Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave alms to the people and prayed to God always, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God come in into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And we looked on him, he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So get the picture. Here's a, here's a man. He's a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. He's unsaved. He's an enmity against God. And yet he believes that there is a God, that God is, does exist, and he's trying to worship God the best he knows how, although he doesn't know him. And he gives alms to people who are made in the image of God. I mean, this guy's genuine. Yet he's not a child of God. But he's seeking God. And God, and God appears to him. You know, we, we, we see here that God is personal. God is approachable. We drop over to verse 34 and verse 35. And, of course, you know, we know the story. He, 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 the Lord tells him, you send for Peter, and Peter will tell you what you ought to do or what you need to do. So he, he's seeking how to have a, relation, a real personal relationship with God, and the Lord says, you, you send for Peter, and Peter will tell you how to have that relationship. In verse 34 and 35, of course, Peter, being a good Jew, you know, the Jews felt that the Gentiles were outside the covenants of God, and of course, the Lord had told them they were to go into all the world, which means they're going to have to go to Gentiles also with the gospel, but it's a little difficult for the Jews to come to that acceptance of that to the acceptance of that and so peter is struggling with this you know and he gets this vision that tells him he needs to go to this to to, to the to caesarea 
And these men come knocking on the door, and make like a long story short, he goes. And he comes to, to, to Cornelius, and verse 34 it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So we see that God is not partial. He don't care who you are or where you come from or what your nationality is or your ethnic group is or, or what class and society. God's not partial. God's not partial. This was a Roman, and the Romans have the Jews in bondage. What was considered God's people in bondage. So God's not partial. Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How that God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost, and with power, who went about, notice this, doing good, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You know, when God in the flesh walked on this sin-cursed earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he always did that which was good. He never slapped his mother, disobeyed his father, or even thought evil against them. He said to his enemies, which of you convinceth me of sin? They didn't say a word because they had nothing to say. You know, he healed the sick, he made the blind to see, the lame to walk, cast out demons, stopped a funeral, a funeral procession with a weeping widow and raised her only son to life. See, he went about doing good. Everywhere he went, he did good. He never did anything evil. This is God, the Son. This is how God manifests himself to you and I. To mankind, in the person of a son, Jesus Christ. He taught his disciples to love one another. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. He taught to render to no man evil for eviling, evil for evil, or railing for railing. So why, again I ask, why would any king, ruler, or governor... Government, take counsel against the Lord. Why would they hate and oppose the Lord's people? I mean, after all, we are commanded to honor and obey our government and to do good to our fellow man. We are to seek peace or to promote peace and goodwill in society. So why then would anyone rage against God and his people and hinder their progress? Well, I think our answer is in verse 42 of Acts chapter 10. Let's read on here, verse 39. We are all witnesses, witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. 
Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. See, there's our answer. The reason people rage against God is they don't want to be judged. They don't obey judging them. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And whether they like to admit it or not, the heathen who rage against God have in them, or part of their makeup is they are a spirit. And that spirit has a desire to worship something higher than themselves. To worship a creator, a God. And without a relationship with God, that spirit will never be satisfied. And the reason they hate us, we remind them of that. And you know, you don't even have to say anything. How many of you heard about Mike Pence's daughter writing a children's book? Mike Pence's 23-year-old daughter wrote a children's book about life in the White House. It's about bunnies living in the White House. It's a cute little children's book. All political. Makes no political references whatsoever. So some sodomite lover, or whoever he is, I can't even remember his name, writes another book with a similar title about two sodomite bunnies. And then a bunch of people go on Amazon and give bad reviews to her book. You know, she made no political statements, no religious statements in the book whatsoever. It was just a clean children's book. And the heathen raged against it. You know why? Because Mike Pence and his wife are professing Christians who have made it known they don't support homosexual lifestyle. And see, it doesn't matter what Mike Pence or his wife or his daughter say, they remind that crowd that there is a God they're going to have to answer to. And they hate him. So they rage against him. But I would say, it's vain, of course. Why do they rage? Secondly, why is it vain to stand against God? Notice again verse 1, verse 1 of Psalm 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Verse 2, I'm sorry. The kings of the earth set themselves 
and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. They set themselves or they stand. It's, it's like they're taking up their position against God. Like you would take up a, a position in a battle against someone. But I would say to you again, it's vain. So why did they do it? You know, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you have built unto me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, of a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Romans 9, 20 and 21 says, Nay, but old man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the slain lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? You know, why set yourself against God? It's also vain to take or seek counsel against the Lord. Again, verse, verse 2, the, the last half of or that verse says, The kings of the earth set themselves, set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. You know, it, it's vain to take or to seek counsel against the Lord. Isaiah 40, 13 says, who hath, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who, being his counselor, hath taught him? Romans eleven thirty four. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Look at Job, Job chapter 40, Job chapter 40, you know, Job suffered, the Lord allowed it, the Lord didn't do it, the Lord allowed it, to prove that man could be faithful to the Lord even in times of suffering, and, and in Job 40, of course, Job didn't know why he was suffering, and he had those great friends of his who tried to tried to tell him he was it was because of his sin that he but Job declared himself that he wasn't because of sin but and 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 so Job made, makes a lot of statements in the book of Job about where God is and what God is doing and 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 so on and and so the Lord asked Job in chapters 38 and 39 80 some questions where were you and I, where were you and I, and can you do this? And, you know, it was just question after question after question, and Job's just scratching his head. And finally Job says, moreover the Lord answered Job and said, or, or here, here is what the Lord continues, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then answer the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins, now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? And then in chapter 42, 
Again, then answered, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent, and dust, and ashes. So Job says, you're right, I heard things I, I knew nothing about. I was trying to figure this all out. And I just thought you were hiding from me. And you wouldn't answer me. But God knew where he was all along. Or Psalm 30, or not Psalm 30, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. <clears throat> this is, we believe, a, again, written by Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived. And he says, The words of Agar, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ucho, surely I am more brutish than any man. Have not the understanding of man. And the word brutish really means, I don't really like this word, was stupid. Unlearned, this kind of thing. I neither learn wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Notice, I don't have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He, notice, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. In Psalm 119, verse 60, 160 says, says uh, I thought I had it written down here, don't. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You see, his words, Solomon said, his word is true, are uh, pure. His word is endureth forever. His words are timeless truths that never shall change. You know, when God says something, it's true. And it will always be true. You know, the things that man says don't always hold up to be true. Or they may be true for a while. But what God says is always true and always will be true. It's vain to seek counsel against the Lord. It is vain also to impose... Of course, it's vain to oppose, rage against God, stand against God, seek counsel against God. It's vain to plot to overthrow the Lord or his people. Notice again verse 3. Verse 2 and 3. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords, notice, from us. Do you realize the world thinks we're a hindrance to this world? 
Karl Marx said, quote, religion is the opium of the people, unquote. Now, there's an element of that that's true. False religion is an opium to the people. We don't think he was talking about false religion. But the psalmist said here, look, it's vain. You're imagining a vain thing. If you think that you're going to break their ban- our bands, they're going to cast away uh, their cords from us. It's vain. In Matthew 16, 18 says, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, and part of the meaning of that verse is, perpetuity of the church of churches that there will always be churches you know there have been those down through the history of time that have tried to completely stomp out Christianity and completely rid this world of Bibles and from what I know the Bible is still the best selling book in the world Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So it's vain. So why do they rage? They're raging about a vain thing. I want you to notice, secondly, there's, there's also this mocking of God the mocking of God. Verse 4 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. You know, it's so silly to think one can overthrow God or avoid Him or delete Him out of the life that's laughable. It's laughable. You know, people that deny there is a God, for some reason when they curse, they want God to curse it. Sense. You know, God isn't threatened. He's not threatened at all by all this. He's not worried about the battle, although he is concerned about the children, his children involved in it. Morgan said, quote, This derisive laughter of God is the comfort of all those who love righteousness. It is the laughter of the might of holiness. It is the laughter of the strength of love. God does not exalt over the sufferings of sinning mean. He does hold in derision all the proud boastings and violence of such as seek to prevent his accomplishment of his will. Unquote. You know, famous ex- example of an opponent of Christianity was, of course, the Roman emperor, Diocletian. He was such a determined enemy of Christians that he persecuted the church mercilessly and fancied that he defeated Christianity. He struck a medal with this inscription, the name of Christianity being extinguished. 
Diocletian also set up two monuments on the frontier of his empire with these inscriptions. Diocletian, Jovian, Maximum, Mium, Hercules, Caesar, Augusti. Boy, that's a royal signing title, isn't it? For having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin, uh, um, and then he had another one. Uh, it was it was had this inscription, another uh, uh, monument: Diocletian, Jovian, Maxim, Hercules, Caesar, Caesarus, Augusti, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ for having extended the worship of the gods. Of course, Diocletian's dead and gone. He's just a footnote on the pages of history. Jesus Christ is known all over the world. See, the Lord will have them in derision. God's just laughing. It's, it's laughable to rage... Or to imagine that such a vain thing. It's like saying, what would you say if I said, me is going to beat me up? That's about what it's compared to. I wouldn't even say that Ryan's going to do it. You know, he'd be a little more of a contest. What I meant was, I think I could lick him. <laughs> they do say I'm getting old. But I don't think I'm that old yet. But anyway, uh, so, so God's just laughing. I want you to notice the third thing. God is king over all the earth. Verses 6 through 9 says this. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I would declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the innermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Uh, I'm hand myself here. See here, God is king over all his earth. And he will set up his king in his kingdom. Now this, this reference here, from what I've gathered and study, is when it says, this day have I begotten thee, is a reference to the resurrection. Not the birth, the resurrection of Christ. We're talking about, he says, setting up my king upon my hill, holy hill of Zion. Of course, the king sitting in Zion is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he says that uh, uh, he's going to give the heathen for his inheritance. The earth is going to be his footstool. So it's testifying to this by the resurrection of Christ. In fact, 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible one and defiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a, there's a, there's a reference there to the last time or the, the, the completion of our salvation, which will be when we go to be with the Lord and the Lord comes to set up his kingdom. 
And he is testifying to the fact that he is the king of the earth by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Christ was resurrected with power, Romans 1.4 tells us, or authority, and seated at the right hand of the Father awaiting his kingdom. So, it's, it's vain. He, he is going to, he says, you know, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto thee, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and he says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Lord of Daniel. Chapter 2. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, of course, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of all the major kingdoms of the world. And the last one, last kingdom, he sees is like a stone that's cut out of a mountain and crushes all the other kingdoms. Daniel 2 verse 44 it says, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to the other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest as the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. See, the decree is God's going to give his son the heathen for his inheritance. And he's going to break them. All those that rebel against him will be broken to pieces. They'll be put down. So it's a vain thing. It's a vain thing to rise up against the Lord. Because God is king over, the other, over all his earth. And then I want you to notice, fourthly, the response of wisdom. Notice verse 10. How, we, how, are, how should people respond to this? Well, there's four things here. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. The first one is receive instruction. You know, the problem is with most people is they don't want to accept the truth. They don't want to accept the fact that they're sinners. That their natural tendency is to do that which is evil. I don't know about you, but Nick, but the last time I checked, mine was still that way. Thank Lord I've been saved by the grace of God, but I still struggle with that old flesh. It's still an enmity against God. It still doesn't like to be told what to do. No, but Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. 
And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. So let's picture a man who, who considers everything for his good, whether it's positive or negative. Here David said, I think it was in Psalm 141, Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. It'll be an excellent oil on my head. So a wise man, so the instruction the Lord gives us here is, is to receive instruction. And of course, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, again, we have to receive him. He is wisdom. He is sanctification, redemption. And so we have to receive it. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we have to receive instruction. And so he says, ye kings and ye judges, there are, you need to receive instruction. You know, one of, the, one of the dangers of being put in a place of authority is people often become haughty and arrogant. That they don't want to receive instruction. But we need to be willing to receive instruction. We are to serve the Lord with fear. Notice verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We're to give reverence and honor to submit to the Lord. Psalm 101 verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise on the Lord all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. We're to serve the Lord or to reverence him. You know, the Bible says that with children are to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And just like children are to honor or to obey their parents with respect, that's how God wants us to serve him. With reverence. Psalm 4 says, stand in awe of him and sin not. Stand in awe. Stand in reverence. So we're to serve the Lord with fear. Yes, he is a loving, a loving God. He's also just and holy. And the love does not negate his holiness. He cannot. He cannot overlook sin. Sin must be judged. So we're to serve him with fear. And we're also, thirdly, to love the Lord with all your heart. Notice verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now, the kiss here is not only expression of love, but of fidelity. Of loyalty. Normal husbands don't go around kissing any woman. Because of loyalty to a wife.
And it is an expression of love, but also of, of fidelity or loyalty. You know, God expects us, or, 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 or asks of us not only to love him, but he expects us to be faithful to him, to be loyal to him. You know, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talked about the house of Stephanus. They had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were faithful servants. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, he says, It requires the stewards that a man be found faithful. So we need to, and really, so the idea here is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind. The greatest commandment. By the way, and if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, you're going to love your neighbor also. Because if you don't love your brother who you can see, how can you say you love God whom you cannot see? Because your brother is made in the image of God. By the way, that has a lot to do with showing how much we really love God. But you know, you and I, the world thinks we're a real problem. I was going to read this earlier, I forgot, but got carried away with my... Ten ways right-wing Christians are destroying... Christianity. This was uh, from what's called the blog by Bryn Tannehill. And I quote, I've written about how millennials are leaving organized religion and associated anti-LGBT animus in droves. As a result, the only religions holding on to membership, barely, are ones with super high birth rates and very conservative views. In the process, conservative faith are becoming increasingly insular and preaching to an echo chamber. This is creating a downward spiral church membership overall as less and less millennials want to be a part of that brand that is increasingly unpalatable. And make no mistake, it is millennials who are leaving conservative denominations the fastest. As an atheist and as an LGBT activist, this seems like a good thing. The faster conservative religion is overwhelmed. The faster conservative religion is overwhelmingly seen as mean, crazy, violent, hateful, misogynistic, which means a person who hates or dislikes or mistrusts or mistreats women, and anti-science, the faster we as a society can move on. I'd rather America look more like somewhere people want to live that someplace, than someplace that generates political and religious refugees, unquote. And then the rest of the article was about ten reasons why this is true. Some of the dumbest things you ever heard in your life. Are any of you guys misogynistic? Do you hate women? I don't. And I don't take kindly to people, men mistreating women. 
Of course, then again, Hillary Clinton says that might married women just vote the way their husbands or their male brothers tell them to. See, again, we're a problem. We're a problem. But why do they? Why do they imagine a vain thing? You know, it's imagining a vain thing. So don't think, you know, all this foolishness is going to come to an end one day. Proverbs 21.30 says this, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. And these people think that Gerga somehow win this war against God and his people. But they're imagining a vain thing. And if you think that you can win a battle against the Lord, you're highly deceived. Because as Ecclesiastes tells, tells us, that God's going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So kiss the son, lest he be angry. Love him with all your heart. Don't, don't give in to vain imaginations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the simplicity of it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to be faithful, to love you with all of our heart, not be fooled by the foolishness of this world who tries to delete our Lord, our Creator, the one who sustains life, the one who gives rain on the just and the unjust. Help us not to be fooled to thinking that we can stand to take counsel against him. So Lord, just help us. Help us to be faithful until you come for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.